Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 6th of December. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by Citizens Party Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this episode of the Citizens Report, solutions to the impending doom on the Australian economy and the fight against bail-in theft of Aussie savings deposits just got a huge boost. Now, Craig, we've got a lot of video clips to play today, mm -hmm. so we have to be efficient with time. Let's, we'll have a chat at the end. Let's get into it. Um, so first, solutions to the impending doom of the Australian economy. And the big news this week is that on Monday, um, which was the 2nd of, of December, Bob Catter, the member for Kennedy, introduced a bill called the Australian Bank's Government Audit Bill 2019, which the Citizens Party helped to draft. This bill does the work the Royal Commission should have done because it, it directs the Auditor General to dig into what's really going on in the bank's books, right? Their real risks. Things like their derivatives, the way they assess their own risk, which they get to tick themselves, their, what's happening in their property portfolios, and the bad debt provisions, right? To, to assess, are they a systemic risk? Now, there was a hearing, Craig, in Parliament on the Friday, the 29th of November, I attended, and I met Pro distinguished Professor James Guthrie from the Macquarie Business School. He testified, and he endorsed the bill and the need for it before Bob introduced it. Just have a look at this exchange. So it's which the auditor should review and form a judgment on that. Is it a form of enmeshment that's happening now? Well, they're getting, I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger. They want to grow 20% every year. I mean, it's What's like... the risk if they achieve that success for their business to the Australian economy and the uh, well, people who the audit is supposed to serve, shareholders, investors, consumers, yeah, suppliers, well, the my, government? My yeah. argument is they're too big to fail now. If one of them fails, you've got less competition. That's why I argue for a statutory. That's why I argue for a statutory auditor of the the, um, yep. the uh, financial services industry. And I see there's a bill going to be in the Senate next week, which I was lucky enough to have a look at that. And that's making the similar argument that uh, Australian banks be audited by the Auditor General that used to happen in the old days. So that's the idea of a statutory auditor for that financial services industry, because it's, you know, it's a real concern now that my pension, which I don't get a lot of, but at least I get a pension, my pension is all tied up in shares now. Yes, it is. And if, if and we the start decisions to have that real are made. issues... I'll have to hand the call to Senator sure. Wilson and then Ms yeah. Hammond. Just, just on that, you, you recommend a statutory order. Mm. Uh, so whose bill was that, as a matter of interest? Pardon? Who's bill did, who, who introduced a bill to the Senate? Senator Wilson, that's a late uh, question. It's going to be I next... you know the answer. <laughs> it's going to be next... I'm told it's going to be next Monday, isn't it? It, it may be. I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. a government bill, Chair? <laughs> I don't know. I must, I must say, I'd be very surprised if it was. But <laughs> OK, well, let's... Um, maybe it's a private member's bill. I'll see if I can follow that up. But the I did, I did, to I did to want to ask... provide the auditing of Australian banks... But, but do you agree... Do you, you, could you just quickly elaborate on why you agree a statutory auditor for the banks is a good idea? Well... They're just so important to the Australian economy, the financial mm. services. And the Royal Commission, now I've gone through and had a bit of a look at that, and there's a lot of evidence that what I would call <clears throat> internal controls, operations, just the general running mm. of the banks has led to illegal activities, fraud, um, 
misconduct, distortion, all that sort of stuff. So mm. it would just seem to me that we would think <coughs> that the banks shouldn't be just, well, I'm just picking on the banks, focused on financial markets and share mm. price. They should actually be fo focused on running a business. And that was him pointing out, mm. Professor Guthrie's pointing out, look, our super's tied up in this system. We need an independent auditor because you can't trust the big four auditors. Um, uh, all right, so then on the Monday, Bob Catter get up, got up in Parliament, introduced the bill, and this is what he said, and this is where our headline came from. Hey, Member for Kennedy. I present the Australian Bank's Government Audit Bill 2019 and the explanatory memorandum. I thank the Member for Kennedy for the clerk. First reading, a bill for an act to provide for the auditing of Australian banks by the Commonwealth Auditor-General to reinforce the constitutional obligation of the Commonwealth to regulate Australia's banking system and resultant currency and credit within the Australian economy and to better protect deposits within Australia's banking system and for related purposes. Now that will give you the level of staggering and towering incompetence by the auditors in this country. They are not to be trusted. The greatest collapse in human history, the GFC collapse, touched off in the United States. And I quote, Ernest Young gave a clean bill of health to Lemon Brothers in July 2008, two months before its bankrupt precipitated the global banking crash. The New York Attorney General accused Ernest Young of helping Lemon Brothers engage in a massive accounting fraud. So the auditing, where the business to be audited, audited picks the auditor and the auditor works for that business. I mean, it's by definition not an audit. By definition, it can't be an audit. I mean, you're employing the person. What's the person going to tell you you're a bad guy? Well, not to my knowledge, um, in the history of, and I do know one case. Uh, it was a case that occurred in Queensland, a very big company, 17th biggest company in uh, Ariadne, 17th biggest company in Australia. And um, in this case, uh, a good friend of mine was the boss of Arthur Anderson, and he said, I can't clear this, um, this uh, company. And um, so uh, in the deal that was taking place, so they were sacked. And uh, they used another um, auditor. Um, that's how the machinery operates. Now, in this case, the government has given a guarantee, and so they should. I agree with the guarantee. They're all four banks. So I tell my wife to invest in the banks because the government, unless the government goes bankrupt, um, well, that could be on the cards too, I suppose, Mr Speaker, but, but I don't think it's so, so at the present moment, um, Mr Speaker. So invest there. The government has given you the world's safest investment provided for you. Now, the government has given this in the knowledge that there is no auditing taking place except 
by an auditor employed by the bank. I mean, you pay the piper, then you call the tune. So, I mean, this situation has got to come to an end. And when we see this impending doom upon the Australian economy, where there's $1,400 million billion a year going to the stock market, and uh, the total national income is only $1,800 billion, um, we have a big problem on our hands. Mr Speaker, what you're looking at is a giant Ponzi scheme. And like all Ponzi schemes, eventually it comes to a very, very bad ending. Concluded is the motion seconded. Is, is, the, is the motion seconded, the member for Melbourne? Mr Speaker, I second the motion and reserve my right to speak. Thank the member for Melbourne. Question is, this bill be now read a second time. The time allotted for this debate has expired. The debate is adjourned and the resumption of the debate will be made an order of the day for the next sitting and I call the clerk. All right, so that's, that's pretty clear, Craig. That bill's now in Parliament. Um, the Liberals and, Nash and, and Labor will not want to support it, but the economy is changing so fast that as events happen overseas and in Australia, that bill is going to prove to be very important, right? It's and there, do, it's ready to go. And we do have the Christmas break, Robbie, so anything can happen. Exactly. All right, let's take a break because we've got very good news also on the other side of the break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. The fight against bail-in theft of Aussie savings deposits just got a huge boost. And Craig, the other big news is this week on Wednesday, Senator Malcolm Roberts and Pauline Hanson moved a motion on a matter of public importance in Parliament. This became the very first debate and discussion on bail-in that passed two years ago, in fact, in the Australian Department of Parliament. Watch Malcolm Roberts in this quite lengthy video. Thank you, Mr Acting Thank Deputy you. President. As a servant to the people of Queensland and Australia, I say clearly that One Nation is worried about what unconventional monetary policy will do to everyday Australians. We do not want to see the mistakes repeated here that are already being made overseas. At the Australian Business Economist Dinner last week, the Governor of the Reserve Bank, Dr Philip Lowe, delivered a speech that officially declared unconventional monetary policy was highly unlikely in Australia. As Senator Hanson said in the opening of this debate, what troubles one nation is that in the Q&A after his speech, Dr Lowe changed his position and declared that, quote, if the economic indicators were moving away from target, I think all options would need to be on the table. These options, Mr Acting Deputy President, are called unconventional monetary policy. That benign name masks a world of financial pain for everyday Australians. The RBA's program would commence when official interest rates reached 0.25 per cent. Official interest rates are currently at 0.75 per cent and tip to fall. We are likely to reach the RBA's trigger point in this term of government. Unconventional monetary policy includes, number one, bank bail-ins, where customer deposits are taken, taken and turned into shares in the bank. It includes, two, negative interest rates, where people pay the bank to use the money. It includes, three, quantitative easing, or QE, where more money is printed and is used to pump up the economy and devalue the money. All of these things only work if people are no longer allowed to keep their money in cash. 
Cash prevents unconventional monetary policy from working. So suddenly, people can see why the cash ban bill or the currency restrictions on the use of cash bill takes on new significance. We wonder, is the government planning to introduce these measures? Senator Pauline Hanson and I call on the Governor of the Reserve Bank to clarify his remarks. Let's consider some elements of unconventional monetary policy. Firstly, quantitative easing, QE, Mr. Mr. Acting Deputy President. This is where the Reserve Bank buys government bonds and the government spends that money on pumping up the economy. This is also called debt monetization, also known as printing money. A destructive idea. The Australian dollar will be printed and debased until inflation ensues and confidence in the economy collapses. Printing money leads to hyperinflation, which is what destroyed economies worldwide from the Weimar Republic in the 1920s to Venezuela right now. While this limited form of quantitative easing is the RBA's preferred model, the RBA did say that it could potentially go beyond this model if economic circumstances warrant. This includes using quantitative easing to, re to purchase private sector assets. Typically, this would be to give the big banks some of this, of this freshly printed money buying mortgages off the banks. This is called mortgage securitisation. It's a simple process. The bank lends money to people to buy a house, usually an investment property. Then the government buys that mortgage, gives the money back to the bank, and the bank lends that money over again, and again, and again, and again. What could possibly go wrong, Mr Acting Deputy President? This policy will transfer the risk of continuing to pump up the housing bubble from the banks to the taxpayers. But the banks deal in risk. That is what banks are for. Why is this, rink, this risk being dumped from taxpayers? It could cost us billions. These measures amount to the government helping out its banking mates when it is the banks that should be responsible for themselves. Quantitative easing will likely price everyday Australians out of the housing market and give more market power to the big banks. Has there ever been a Prime Minister that loves his banks as much as Mr Scott Morrison does now? Second point. Another aspect of unconventional monetary policy is negative interest rates. This is where you, the depositor, pay the bank to hold your money that, they deposit, that, that is deposited with them. Now that seems fantastical. Yet 14 countries now have negative interest rates, including the large economies of J Germany and Japan, amongst the world's largest economies. Australia's bond rate has been between 0.6 per cent and 0.8 per cent for months. We are almost into negative interest rate territory now. After allowing for inflation, Australian government bonds are indeed trading at negative returns. What should worry everyone, Mr Acting Deputy President, is that people are buying these unconventional ideas. Politicians are being led down the path. The RBA and the federal government have been talking up the economy in recent years. They are saying the Australian economy is fundamentally strong and that public and monetary policy is being managed both professionally and prudently. So why are people prepared to invest, as an example, $1,000 to only get back $998 after two years? And really, that is just $950 after inflation. Why would people burn their money if the economy was doing as well as the government says it is? Well, they wouldn't. 
In times of negative interest rates, people refuse to pay the banks to hold their money. They respond by holding their savings in cash and by paying cash. No wonder the government has brought on the cash ban bill, or as it's officially known, the currency restrictions on the use of cash bill. This bill stops everyday Australians from tendering more than $10,000 in cash in a transaction. It forces people to put their money in a bank. It forces people to put their money in a bank, only to see some of that money taken in bank fees and negative interest rate deductions. This government is thinking of forcing people to consume a banking product, to have their money taken from them by the banks in order to make unconventional monetary policy effective. One Nation considers that this is just plain wrong. Third point. Another element of this strategy is bank bail-ins. Bail-ins. Banks were bailed out during the global financial crisis. Governments around the world then used taxpayers' money to stabilise bank balance sheets. They gave taxpayers' money to banks. Now, that wasn't very popular with the public that rightly concluded banks caused the global financial crisis in the first place. And banks continue to display bad banking behaviour. Behaviour like money laundering for drug dealers, as the Commonwealth Bank did until it was caught out. Money laundering for terrorists and pedophiles, as Westpac are just doing. Charging customers for fees without service and charging dead people for services they never provided. Come on. The new trick is called a bail-in. This is where depositors' funds are stolen and converted into shares in the bank. Let me say that again. A bank bail-in means some or all of your funds are taken from depositors and converted into shares in the bank. Depositors don't get a say in the matter. Your money is stolen. What will defeat such a bail-in is people holding their savings in cash and paying in cash. The government's cash ban bill raises its ugly head again, Mr Acting Deputy President. For a measure that the government says is highly unlikely, the government seems to be putting all the necessary steps and preparations in place. In a nutshell, the RBA governor's solution to the biggest debt bubble in Australian history is more money printing, more government intervention in financial markets and, ultimately, more debt. One Nation would suggest that a far better way to get the economy going is to increase pensions and new start, for example, Mr Acting Deputy President. Put money into the hands of people who desperately need it and who will spend it in their local communities. Put money into infrastructure such as our Water for Life policy project to increase the reserves of town weir, water reserves of town weirs across rural and regional Australia, drought-proofing our country and, and increasing the productive capacity. What about building the hybrid Bradfield scheme to provide water, to provide Australia with water and power security? And on the side of it, what about a people's bank to provide real competition and accountability for the major banks? The Bank of North Dakota has done it since 1919. The Commonwealth Bank did it until it was gutted by Liberal Labor governments. I want to end by saying, where are the government reassurances and denials on this? Instead of taking ex existing wealth away from everyday Australians, why are we not increasing our productive capacity to create new wealth? One Nation are open to concluding that the Reserve Bank has decided that forcing everyday Australians to lose their money is more desirable than the banks losing theirs. Instead of helping big banks fleece depositors, the government needs to increase Australia's productive capacity to generate wealth for all. I call on the governor to clarify his remarks. Thank you, Mr Acting Deputy President.
All right, so we'll talk about these after the break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're talking about how the fight against bail-in theft of Aussie savings deposits just got a huge boost. So, Craig, we've played, played some pretty important footage there. That's what's happened in the Australian Parliament in this last week, That's right? right? Yep. A, a very important hearing on the um, on the uh, auditors' question, the, the people, the corrupt people who protect the banks, and then two very important initiatives against the banks, an actual bill that Bob Keller introduced. And what Malcolm Roberts did, and, and everything he covered actually is quite important, right? And I want to say something quite, I think, quite profound. When I was in this hearing, because I spent the week in Parliament the week before, when I was in the hearing on the auditors, mm-hmm. um, the two politicians who were aggressively going after the corruption were Senator Wish Wilson and Labor Senator Deb O'Neill, Wish Wilson's a Green. They, those two were both present on the 14th of, of February mm-hmm. 2018 when bail-in was rammed through the Senate. Yeah. And everyone who's heard about that knows there was only eight senators present. They were two of them. Yeah. But in the time that's intervened since then, they have gone... There's extraordinary signs of a shift in thinking to really start going after the problems in the system. I want to make that point. The other point is this. Um, You saw Malcolm Roberts. You saw Bob Catter. I've mentioned a couple of other people. One third of Australian voters don't vote for the major parties. But because of the preferential system, you don't get one third of the seats in Parliament not held by the major parties, right? But when there's a spectrum from the Greens all the way across to One Nation that have radically different views on many things, but they're coming to an agreement on the importance of reforming the financial system. And we're right in the middle of this, mm-hmm. right? And so this is what you're seeing. So let's just talk about um, Malcolm's speech, though, which was very good. I wanted to raise... He, he, that mention of bailing was the first, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, we've been trying to educate people about bailing now. Finally, Parliament's actually talked about it. What's the significance of that? Well, Robbie, the point is that, you know, Malcolm also raised some very other important things. We need to have bailing in order to stop people's... Um, we need to stop bail-in. Yeah, stop bail-in in order to uh, you know Protect stop deposits. people's deposits from being stolen. I mean, because that's what's actually on the table now. People think that their deposits in the bank are safe. They're not. This legislation that was passed in 2018 means that the government can pass the laws necessary for banks to steal people's deposits. Now, the solution to this is Glass-Steagall. We talk about Glass-Steagall, bank separation. Which, incidentally, was recommended in that hearing, in the auditing yeah. hearing the week before. So, so break up the banks. Through. We need a stable banking system. A normal retail banking system, commercial banking system that, that supports the economy. We've got to get rid of all the retail, the uh, merchant banking, you know, in, investment banking and so forth. There's, we've just got to separate the two out. Now, Malcolm raised something that's dear to our heart, though, which is the need for a people's bank. And I yeah. want to contrast it quickly. He talked about it'd be a good idea for the government to boost New Start and the pension, which, of mm-hmm. course, it would be. And he said that would, imp- that would benefit the economy. But Craig, whatever benefit that might have for the economy is nothing compared to what a people's bank can do. Because the difference yeah. is between spending and investing, yeah. right? In 1994, Robbie, we wrote legislation for a national bank for this country based upon the old models of the Commonwealth Bank, right? The point is you have to have a, cent- a, a, a powerful national bank that can control the private bankers. The precedent was this, for this is during the war when Curtin and Chifley actually used powers of the Commonwealth Bank to control the private banks. You have to have an institution that can emit credit into large-scale infrastructure development projects. Now, you know, Malcolm Roberts talked about... that's what transforms the economy. That's, Malcolm Roberts talked about the Bradfield scheme. Yep. Yeah, that's where you have to spend the sort of money, put people into high-paying jobs so you don't have to worry about 
more about the new start and the pensions. In fact, you could pay more because the economy is exactly. more productive. Exactly. And that's that's what we talk about all the time. All right, and we, we would be remiss to not mention the fact that you also talk very importantly about the cash ban. And in fact, we couldn't play Pauline's speech, but she raised the cash ban first, right? Yeah. So what you've got now, you're, what you're starting to see in Parliament is the forces against this banking corruption are coalescing around these things. We're right in the middle of it. And the work that you, the viewer, have done in getting involved in these uh, committee process, etc., et is bearing fruit. All right, so let's keep that up all through the new year when this gets debated. But we'll run out of time. So, Craig, mm -hmm. thanks for joining us. Thanks, Robert. Thanks to the viewer. Tune in next week for more. Mm -hmm.